0: Good morning, church. If you have a Bible, let me invite you to turn to Romans chapter 13 this morning. Romans chapter 13. And as you do, let me just say, as you have probably experienced week in and week out, that uh, being here in person and experiencing all the different aspects of our order of worship... Uh, make this time in the Word even more full and even more rich. Uh, the, the scriptures that have been read, the prayers that have been prayed, the songs that have been sung, uh, which is why we ought to uh, fight to be here as often as possible on, on Sundays uh, together and why a podcast of our church or any other church is, just does not do uh, what the gathering of God's people does together. And so I'm grateful for your intentionality to be here. Grateful for this opportunity. I'm thankful for Pastor Graham uh, uh, leading us in, in choosing songs and scriptures and, uh, that, that prepare our hearts for this text this morning. Romans chapter 13. I'm going to be reading verse 1 through verse 7. This is the Word of the Lord. It says, Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. Let me read that again. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed Pay to all what is owed to them, taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. Let's pray once more before considering this together. Oh God, I humbly bow before you as King of kings and Lord of lords, one who is divinely inspired these words to be writ for, written for our good uh, to be considered even this morning. And, and we just thank you. And at the same time, God, we, we thank you for uh, our government and the blessing uh, that it has been for many, uh, for, for decades and centuries. And yet, God, we know that uh, government ours included, is not perfect. And um, God, here, though your word tells us to be in subjection to the governing authorities, God, what does this look like in our day and age? I I pray you would help us to consider that humbly uh, with softened hearts that are softened by your spirit to hear your word. And God, I pray that you'd help me Um, I know not all the implications and applications of this text. I know not all the hurts uh, that government has brought upon the individuals even represented here. And God, I know I'm not going to say everything that uh, I would like to say or that some here would like me to say. But God, would you have me say what you need me to say this day for myself for my family, for our church family, for our witness in this world. God help us. We ask and pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, just as a funny way of opening, my kids have been enjoying a song this past couple weeks that says, my mama told me to never give up. No, never give up. No, never give up. And yeah, it's a catchy song, so catchy that we've been singing and dancing to this song uh, over and over all week. Well, my mama didn't tell me that. Uh, She's not here this morning. You can ask her. I don't really necessarily remember that, but I do remember her saying, uh, don't talk about uh, religion, politics, and finances. Uh, I remember in her day and age and her generation, those are things you just don't talk about. And I just want to say, I'm going to talk about all three this morning as her son in front of other people publicly. Uh, religion, politics, and finances. Uh, and, and yet, I think she'd give me a pass because God has given us his word and he has commanded these things to us. They're for our good. And so we want to consider them Uh, well this morning together. Um, You heard me read from Romans chapter 13, and and lest we just think that's just a one-off verse, and, and we need to take that with a grain of salt, and there may be more, you know, important verses that we ought to focus on later. Let me read for us from 1 Peter chapter 2. Verse 13 and 17, and, and I can read this entire text and just leave it in your notes um, and not have to go to it and unpack that verse for it's not our scripture for this morning, but uh, listen to, to this section of God's Word written by another apostle of God, the apostle Peter. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 13, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution. honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. I think what Paul has for us in Romans chapter 13 is very similar to what Peter had for his audience that he was writing to in his day and age, a suffering group of Christians. Uh, and they would, we would do well to listen to God's Word, to these apostles' Word uh, even in our day and age. Uh, and these words, they're not written to us here in the United States in 2022. These, were, these things were written in the 50s. And I'm not talking about those 50s that some of you lived in. The 1950s. Th- these are the literal 50s. The first century 50s. And these Commands of be subject to the governing authorities for the Lord's sake uh, were written in a harsh government. Uh, emperors that you might know by name of Nero, who blamed the burning of his city uh, on Christians and persecuted Christians like candles on sticks for his gatherings in his place. So imagine Christians and the apostles saying be subject to emperors like that. Uh, We find ourselves in a much better situation than that, and yet there's still struggles with this command of being subject to governing authorities, even as Christians at different times. When there are... Uh, mayors, governors, presidents, um, members of the Senate or the House and and in other uh, realms of government that don't believe what we believe or um, don't agree with us on everything. And yet, this passage gives us no outs, no excuses, no real limitations in it. And so, yes, our hearts are going to struggle with this for a bit, but we've got to consider if this was true for Paul and Peter and they were able to say these things, even they themselves, especially Paul, um, being taken to task by the Roman government uh, and imprisoned wrongly in Rome a couple times, if he can say these things himself and, and command these things to the churches. Uh, then we ought to be able to hear them this morning. Um, seeing them through the lens of the gospel of Jesus Christ and the God of all creation that we sang about, um, who is sovereign over all things, we ought to be able to, to apply these things well. And then and throughout all of history, there's been lots of different, really, types of government uh, and church relationships. There's been times when the church and the government have... Uh, Patted each other's pockets, if you will, tried to do what the other one would want to benefit themselves. Or there's been times when the church has ruled the government and times in history when the government has ruled the church. And then there are times when uh, they've been separated with a healthy separation, not controlling one another. And, and this is probably the best representation of what God would have for us. That God alone is sovereign over all, as he is our creator and our sustainer. Uh, that he has all authority, and yet he has made church, uh, the state or the government, and our homes all as different realms of authority here on this earth. And in each of those realms, whether it be to our response in relationship to God, our response to the government, our response to the church, and our response to our relationship to each of those and our relationship to home, there's submission and subjection in each one of those. You think about the commands of being subjected uh, in subjection or submission to the elders in the church. We've read them about the government already. We've, we can read also about children uh, being in subjection and under the submission of their parents. Even wives under the submission of the godly and sacrificial leadership of their husbands. There's submission in, in all of these realms that the Lord has uh, established. And we need to know how to rightly submit. Ultimately, the only reason we submit in all of those is because the Lord has all authority, and he's given his authority to some to, to use in a, in a godly way, and so we need to consider that for ourselves this morning, and our text jumps right into it, does it not? That's why I read it two times uh, for us. I didn't stutter, and I didn't misread anything. I read it two times on, por- uh, 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 on purpose because of its importance. Uh, we ought uh, to be subject to the governing authorities. If you're taking notes this morning, I encourage you to note this, first and foremost, uh, that we ought to submit to governing authorities. And the first subpoint underneath that this morning would be uh, that they have been instituted by God's authority. Really the first reason we're to be subject to governing authorities as Paul commands in verse 1 is what he goes on to explain in the latter half of the verse is that they have been instituted by God's authority. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities for there is no authority except from God. Just a plain and simple and helpful statement there that Paul starts off saying, you're to be subject to these governing authorities, but remember, there's no authority except that which comes from God, because he is the creator of heaven and earth. And so if these governing authorities have any authority in and of themselves, it's It's come from the Lord, which is what he goes on to explain. For there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. God has all authority, and for a moment in time, he's given his authority to, as we see in this passage, governing authorities. In another passage, he's given authority to parents, in another passage, passage in the Bible, he's given authority to elders. He's given authority to individuals at different seasons and and in different stages of life. And, And they have been given this authority by God. They've been instituted by God. And so we are to live in subjection to them, as if we're living in subjection to ultimately God's authority. Yeah, there may be pains in subjecting yourself to human authority at times. But if our eyes are looking heavenward, if our eyes are looking to the Lord, we're doing that horizontal submission um, really in view of our vertical submission to the Lord Himself who has all authority. And it makes, makes it much easier to do it. Uh, not easy, but easier to do it when our eyes are on the Lord, not necessarily on that person before us. All governing authority, all authority has been instituted by God. We see this throughout the Scriptures, not just do we see that here in the New Testament, but this was known in the Old Testament as well. Solomon, who was a king with great authority, maybe more than any before him, Uh, maybe any after him, says in Proverbs 21.1, the king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he will. God, again, showing his authority over even king's authority. And if God chose at any moment of time to um, move a king or a leader or one in authority in one direction or another, he would do it. He he would do it. He has done it, and he continues to do it. Uh, Daniel blesses God when God gave him an understanding regarding Nebuchadnezzar's dream in Daniel chapter two verse twenty. He blesses the Lord and he says, "Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, to whom belong wisdom and might. He changes times and seasons. Listen, he removes kings." And he sets up kings. And he gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. Daniel praised God in the midst of a very pagan, ungodly ruler. Uh, He praised the Lord for being the one who establishes kings and removes kings. In uh, three times in Daniel chapter 4, Daniel and the lord echo these words till you know that the most high rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will daniel uh, understood where ultimate authority uh, was to be placed even jesus himself at the end of his life when he was before the authority figure of his time pilate in john chapter 19 verse 10 It says, So Pilate said to him, You will not speak to me? Do you not know that I have authority to release you and authority to crucify you? And Jesus answered him, You would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given you from above. Therefore, he who delivered me over to you has the greater sin. Can you imagine the moment in which Pilate is boasting of his authority to do what he wants in that moment and Jesus looking at him and saying, you would have no authority unless it was given to you by the God above. And so even Jesus, the Son of God, understands what it means to live in subjection to human authority who were given that authority by God to establish God's good purposes throughout history. Just think, had Jesus not submitted to the authority of Pilate, the prophecies of the Old Testament would not have been fulfilled. The Son of God would not have been crucified, would not have died, would not have been buried, would not have been raised from the dead. We would still be in our sins, Christian. And yet Jesus Christ models what submission to human authority looks like, trusting and looking ultimately to Jesus' is Heavenly Father. Our Heavenly Father whom we submit to first and foremost. Who is given, though, His authority here on this earth to accomplish, it, accomplish His good purposes. Uh, even though sin happens. Even though there are evil kings. Even though bad things happen. That doesn't negate these, these important truths in this. Paul... John Stott says, is stating the divine ideal, not the human reality. Paul is not saying that all government officials are always good and without sin. There's obviously been corruption and evil and sin throughout all of history, including American history. And there will be moments, there have been moments when government officials don't act in an honorable way But like Stott said, Paul is stating the divine ideal, not the human reality here. He understands that things won't always be that way. But we're to be in subjection to governing authorities because they've been instituted by God, but also because they've been appointed with God's authority. They've been instituted by God's authority, but they've also been appointed with God's authority. Look in verse 2. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. When we resist the governing authorities, we're resisting God who has established them in those authorities at these specific times and in specific places and we have to be careful we have to be very careful because Paul is equating that when we're resisting authority we're actually resisting God himself and that there will be judgment now does that judgment mean an earthly judgment or a heavenly eternal judgment yes probably both There likely will be earthly judgment for resisting authority here on this earth. And there will likely be heavenly judgment for resisting authority, especially if you have yet to repent and believe in Jesus Christ. Maybe for those of us who have repented and believed Jesus Christ, that will not even be brought up in heaven Um. But there is a seriousness to this. There is a judgment that is being brought to the forefront of our minds and we need to consider that. We need to consider that to resist human earthly authority is to resist God's authority that He has given to those individuals at a specific season, in a specific moment. Now, does that mean... uh, Let me just say, here as I diverge from what our text is saying, not diverging from what God's Word says, but in our text, just note, there's no uh, leniences to this. There's no uh, if, ands, or but clauses in this. It's just a clear statement of subjection and not resisting to it. And yet we have examples throughout God's Word Uh, That uh, of individuals who do resist authority. And yet, in most of those circumstances, they're willing to incur the judgment of the earthly authority um, in the midst of resisting. Uh, We can think about them. Let's think about our Bible history. Let's think about Exodus in chapter 1 when Pharaoh told all the Hebrew midwives to kill the, the, the male children born uh, as, soon as, as soon as they're born. These Hebrew midwives, though, for ultimate fear of God, they resisted. And they did not obey Pharaoh. Instead, they obeyed God. And yet they were at the mercy or uh, able to be judged by by Pharaoh himself. So are there times when we are given God's freedom to resist certain authority? And I think the Bible makes it clear that that there are in some serious, serious situations when a government tells you to clearly do what God has very clearly told you not to do. I'm not talking about gray areas or wishful areas. I'm talking about very black and white clear. When the government tells you to do something that God has told you not to do. Pharaoh says, kill the children. God has told you don't kill people. They're made in God's image. They understood that. That would be a time in which it would be... uh, I think, obedient to God to resist because you're then obeying a higher authority. Again, if you have that picture there of God's authority, who He's given it to, government, church, and the home, and how we're to use those, I think the same would be true even in our church. If we as elders told you as a church to do something that God's Word has clearly said not to do, You ought not to do what the Bible says, which is be in submission to the elders. You ought to collectively resist uh, in hopes that we as elders would repent of our sin in telling you to do something that God has told you clearly not to do. And the opposite would be true if, if, hopefully I'm saying this right, (laughs) if the government tells you not to do something that God has told you to do, then you ought to continue doing those things. This um, shows up. There's so many examples and I don't have time to give all of them, but probably most famously would be Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego told that they must bow down to the statue of which God had already made it abundantly clear. Do not bow down to any statue or image of anything in all of creation, but worship me as the one true and living God. And they didn't do it. They resisted. And yet, what were they willing to do? Incur the judgment of the human authorities in that moment. They were willing to be burned for it. They were willing to be disciplined for it. Uh, Daniel himself, uh, God had told him to pray. uh, And yet, the governing officials during his time made a ploy to make a law that said you can't pray. And yet, what did Daniel continue to do? He continued to pray. Or we could think about the apostles in the New Testament, whom the governing officials were commanding, do not proclaim the gospel any longer. And yet the apostles, in that moment in in the book of Acts, said, uh, we will obey God rather than men. We will continue to preach the gospel so there's examples of this in God's Word, but, but re- we need to uh, be humble. We need to be respectful. We need to be careful that we're, we have clear commands and guidance in God's Word before we ever move in that direction. Um, these are not gray areas that one could think this way or that way and that Christians have thought kind of on both sides of uh, things on, on those disputes. These need to be absolutely 100% clear in these things that we are to submit to governing authorities until it turns into disobedience to God. If, the com- if, if they command what God forbids or forbid what God commands, we go with God every single time. And at that point, it is our Christian duty not to submit to governing authorities. Paul doesn't conclude there. He continues on. And up to this point, he's talked about these governing authorities and that we're to be in subjection to them because they have been instituted by God and they have been appointed with God's authority but he continues on in verse 3 and he uses a different word for them rather than authority. Now he begins to call them servants. And I would encourage you to note this second main point as that we ought to submit to God's servants. Submit to God's servants. And then 1st subpoint underneath that of two is that we do good and be approved. That we are to do good and be approved. In verse 3, it says, For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Paul asks rhetorically. And of course we would have fear of one who is in authority. So Paul says, Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant. Emphasis there on being God's servant. For this governing authority is God's servant for your good. We ought to submit to God's servants to do good and be approved. Paul assumes that there is a healthy fear of authority in our culture. And I know that that uh, isn't necessarily always true. Uh, But he assumes that it is here in, in the midst of his government. And if there is that healthy fear of authority, then he urges them to do what is good. And in the end, they'll be approved. Be approved by God's servant. This is Maybe an interesting point to note that when it says he is God's servant, that word servant there is the word deacon. It's the same word used to describe servants in God's church. Uh, this is why uh, in other countries like England, you would have individuals. Uh, called the prime minister or the minister of the state in this area that area they're servants and it's rightly seen as servants of god I, I used to be confused I'm like why are you calling a governing official a minister they're not a minister but if we have the right understanding of ultimate authority and then that authority being given to the state in certain different realms then According to God's Word, they are. They're God's servants in the state, so far as the state is um, concerned. And so they are serving the Lord, not in the church, but they are serving the Lord um, in and amidst the state, with the laws, with judging, with governing, and those sorts of things. And we're to do good, and if we do good, we'll receive His approval now we know this every time we are in our cars and we are driving down the highway or down the road and we pass a cop all of a sudden we just think back to the past you know few seconds was i speeding did i run that light did i is my seat buckled did i have my blinker on is my headlight out Or whatever it may be uh, we think back to those moments and and as we drive by if if we have done good then we confidently you know give the couple a wave you know kind of like hey bud you know how you doing there I know you're not gonna pull me over cuz I know I didn't do anything wrong and if you get the wave back you know I'm approved kind of in that moment and yet if you've done wrong All of a sudden, you you know, you feel guilty. You you feel, oh no, please don't, please. Mercy, mercy, mercy. You know, like begging in that moment. But if we have done wrong and he decides to use his authority over us in that moment, then all of a sudden you see the lights turn on and you begin to hear the siren and we're not approved anymore. Instead, it's the other uh, word that Paul describes in verse 4. The word avenged. Look at verse 4. After he says, for He is God's servant for your good, Paul says, but if you do wrong, be afraid. He commands them to be afraid. If you're living in sin, if you're living contrary to the the laws of the land, be afraid. Why? Why? For he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is God's servant. The servant of God. An avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. But if you do wrong, be afraid. Notice in both the good and the bad, there's a a fearfulness here of the authority that earthly rulers are to have. Similarly to the healthy fear that we all are to have towards the Lord. That there is a healthy fear that we should have towards Him an awe towards Him knowing that He has ultimate authority. And and that fear is then to be represented horizontally as well as they are avengers of God's wrath. That they do not bear the sword in vain. Now, when you think of a sword, uh, I don't think Paul is talking about bearing this sword uh, in relation to other nations in battle and in war. There's no discussion here regarding battle, there's no discussion here regarding wars with other nations. This is all talking about citizens of this kingdom. And so when he says that the governing authorities, they do not bear the sword in vain, he's saying that they've been given a sword, they've been given authority by God that we ought not to resist, and they've been given a sword to um, deliver judgment. And if we just are honest with considering what a sword is truly used for we realize that this sword is to bring about death let's make note here that when Peter used his sword when Jesus was being arrested by those Roman officials he wasn't going for the ear he was going for the head he was aiming to use his sword to bring about death and Jesus told him no put it down We're not to pick up our swords as Christians. And yet, God's governing authorities here on this earth are to bear the sword. Not in vain, but to bear the sword rightly. Uh, Here in Romans chapter 13, it it follows Romans chapter 12. Those verses that we looked at in detail last week. And we've got to remind ourselves what we were called to as Christians in Romans chapter 12 verse 19 Paul says in our point last week was that we would live countercultural lives as Christians and in verse 19 Paul commands Christians living counterculturally he says beloved never avenge yourselves but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. So he's mentioning vengeance here. He's even quoting Old Testament Scripture regarding God's vengeance back on those who punish His people, especially those who do it wrongly. He's saying don't take vengeance into your own hands, Christian. It's not yours to Repay. And yet immediately following that passage, speaking to Christians individually, he says that those who are to take out God's vengeance on others is the governing authorities. They're the ones that bear the sword. As Christians, we don't bear the sword. That's why Jesus told Peter to put down his sword and leave it in the hands of the government. This is why Paul didn't take up matters in his own hands to fight against those who were fighting against him. And yet at the same time, Paul used every means necessary inside the government to obtain his freedom, to be able to obtain a right, just judgment. And so I think it's very clear from these passages that we are to be in submission to God's servants in these governing roles. Uh, So long as they have not told us to do anything that God has told us not to do, or told us not to do anything that God has told us to do. That we're to live in submission to them, in subjection to God's servants, and to do good and be approved. Uh, For if we do bad, we'll be avenged. We'll be avenged ultimately by the Lord who has given His authority to governing authorities to punish wrongdoers. This is important for us to consider. Uh, I, I could even add not only to those passages regarding doing good and doing bad, but we could add some of Paul's words to Timothy in First Timothy two one through three, that not only should we do good and not bad, but we should pray for these governing authorities and these servants of God. First Timothy chapter two verse one. First of all, then I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. Listen, verse 3. This is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior. So one aspect, at least, of what it means to um, live in submission to God's servants and to do good and be approved and to not do bad lest we be avenged is to pray. Pray. It's to pray for our governing authorities, to pray for those who have God's authority over us, humanly speaking, in, in the midst of these spheres of life. This is important for us to consider, especially in our day and age. Jesus here, when he, uh, or, or Paul here, when he speaks about the sword um, not being in, in vain, Jesus, as I mentioned, speaks about uh, Peter putting his sword away in Matthew 26. And in verse 52, he says, For all who take the sword will perish by the sword, whether on earth or in the end. And Paul is getting at something here, not just something that he thinks would be wise during his day and age, but I think something that is based in in creation's mandate that god has given human government authority to take life from those who have taken life from others for genesis chapter 9 verse 6 says that whoever sheds the blood of man by man shall his blood be shed for god made man in his own image God is saying that he, there is a sanctity to all human life, that every life matters. And if any life is predetermined to be taken by somebody else, their life as well ought to be taken, but not by individuals, not by you know, taking them out back and, and, and doing your due diligence on, on your own, but entrusting that to the governing authorities. I was talking with Pastor Ed about this passage last night and he made it just a great point in thinking about when that verse was was noted in Genesis chapter 9. It's helpful to think about what was happening before that in Genesis chapter 6. In Genesis chapter 6, just before God shows favor to Noah and commands him to build an ark, there was such evil going on because there was no one in control. It was anarchy, essentially. There was no governing authorities. Nobody was doing what was right in the eyes of the Lord. It says in chapter 6, verse 5, That the Lord saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. That's bad. That's what happens when there's no human authority to approve good and to judge evil. And so after the flood, after God judged, after God's wrath was poured out on mankind, God gave Noah a new way of living post-flood, uh, a, a way that those who are in leadership and in, th- and in authority uh, ought to care seriously about the lives of those around them. that because all people Every man, woman, boy, and girl has been made in God's image. Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. Again, this is not something for individuals to take into their own hands, but something to entrust to the governing authorities. And I know, like you know, uh, that government authorities don't always get it right. And that in the past, people have been wrongly convicted. Uh, wrongly judged for things that they've never done. This has to be done so carefully. This has to be done um, so patiently, uh, above the line. And if things haven't been done above the line, then we ought to do do, do, due diligence and patience to be able to make sure those things are judged justly so so far as we can. Nevertheless, though, the Lord is, gives his governing authorities, whether it was Nero, whether it was Nebuchadnezzar, whether it was Pharaoh, whether it was Pilate, whether it was our governing officials now, he gives them authority. And he could take that authority away in an instant. We're not doing this because they deserve it. We're doing it because God deserves it and because he's commanded us to, to do so. Therefore in verse 5, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. We do these things for God's glory and for our good, not only so that we don't incur punishment. But lastly, in verse 6 and 7, he gives us some practical ways uh, of doing this. And if God has told us to be in subjection to governing authorities first and then to be in subjection to God's servants second, here lastly, He says that we ought to be in subjection to God's ministers. In verse 6, for because of this, you also pay taxes. For the authorities are ministers of God attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them. Taxes, to whom taxes are owed. Revenue, to whom revenue is owed. Respect, to whom respect is owed. And honor, to whom honor is owed. We are to submit to God's ministers by paying taxes and revenue. Not only are we to do good and not do bad, but one of the things that comes with human government God told us this would happen in 1 Samuel when God's people wanted a king like all the other nations. God told Samuel to warn the people that if you get a king, he's going to take your sons and enlist them in the army. He's going to take your daughters and and enlist them in in the service of the kingdom. Uh, He's going to take your crops to be able to, feed his army. He's going to take your, your revenues to be able to buy the things that the, the kingdom needs. Beware of that, and they still wanted it. We, we were warned by God in this, and this is still the case, that taxes are still taken by kingdoms and uh, democracies to be able to pay for uh, things that we that all people in the kingdom need, whether it's protection or or provision uh, inside uh, that nation. And here, God says one way that you submit to God's ministers uh, over you uh, is by paying those taxes and by paying that, that revenue to whom is owed. And as much as we all hate or abhor Uh, April 15th, when it comes around every year, we sure do like those roads, and we sure do like that uh, army and military that that protects, and we sure do like some of the benefits that we get. But notice here, like the living in submission to the authorities, there's no caveats here. As if, if you don't agree with the government's funding in this area, you don't have to pay that part of the tax. Oh, wouldn't that be nice? I mean, it'd be so nice for some of us to be able to be like, oh, I don't agree with that one. I don't agree with that one. Just th- that one, I'm okay with that. I'll pay that little bit right there. Now, so long as it is up to us uh, regarding our votes and things like that, Uh, We ought to use those to be able to vote what we think is right. But in the end, when the votes are are counted and when the laws are made, we're to pay our taxes. And we're to do so as Christians differently than the rest of the world. Uh, That that we're to pay our taxes in submission to God's ministers because we're in submission to the God of God who is over all of those ministers, over all those servants, over all of those authorities. Jesus himself famously said, give to Caesar what is Caesar's. Pay your taxes. Even a a moment, another moment in, in his life, he was going to the temple where at that season of life, you had to pay the temple tax. And Jesus just simply asked the question, essentially, whose house is this? Well, it's God's house. Uh, And in a king's house, do the sons have to pay the tax? No, they don't. Well, he's saying, well, this is God's house, and I'm God's son. I shouldn't have to pay this tax. But nevertheless, these are the rules. Go fishing catch a fish, in the fish's mouth will be a coin to pay your tax and my tax, Peter, lest we be judged differently here on this earth. Even Jesus himself um, showed us what uh, godly submission looks like, even regarding paying taxes, even regarding paying uh, revenue, our, our bills. We ought to be above reproach in this, Christian, paying on time paying what we owe. Yeah, use the laws to your advantage, but don't break the laws so that you can skip out on this percentage point or skip out on this fee or that fee. We ought to be above reproach showing showing the world that we trust the Lord, not human authorities for our good and for our provision. And that if God wants us to have More, or we have certain needs that God will take care of them. But not only regarding finances, remember I told you religion, uh, politics, and finances. He says in closing, tells us to show respect and honor. Respect and honor. Pay to all what is owed to them, taxes and revenue, but he ends with respect to whom respect is owed. And honor to whom honor is owed. And since we said early on that these governing authorities have been instituted by God and have been appointed with God's authority, they deserve a certain amount of respect and a certain amount of honor. Doesn't mean you can't disagree, it doesn't mean that you can't um, speak in opposition to certain. Platforms that certain governing authorities might take, certain actions that certain governing authorities may take, but Christian were to do so with honor and respect. And social media would be radically different if we, as Christians, though we may disagree and though we may um, want to speak against if we were able to if we did so as God's word commands us to do, to do so with honor and respect it would shine a light that's really not being shined well in our day and age might we be a people who trust the lord more than any governing authority and are then able to show that by paying our taxes by paying our revenue by showing respect and honor that is due those whom God has instituted, whom God has appointed. There's a way we can do this well, Christian. There's a way we can do this well, church. Uh, Consider your Facebook, your Instagram, your Twitter feed from the past two years when politics and religion and platforms and beliefs and this, that, or the other have been all over the place. If you have not shown honor or respect where it was due at those times, repent. Confess. Realize that it wasn't necessarily your disagreement or your position that was wrong, but the way in which you did so very well could have been wrong. And that there is a more godly, more Christ-like way to do this. For this passage is how we as Christ followers are to live. Ultimately, like Christ, in submission to our Heavenly Father. And I know um, we don't have a perfect government. No one ever has. I know that things are not always fair. They really never have been. Uh, since the Garden of Eden, when Adam and Eve rebelled against their authority. You know, you think you don't like the authorities that God has put over you right here and right now, and you think that if this person or that person were in government, then you would be okay with that authority. You're a liar. You're deceived. Adam and Eve didn't like God the Father. And his rules over them in the garden. And they rebelled there too. What makes us think we're any different? That if we had this or that leader, that we would do any different? No, this has been a problem from the very beginning because we do not want to submit to God. Might we be a people who have laid down our lives as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God, which is our spiritual act of worship, even in the midst of God's government, that we would be willing to be in submission to human authority because we know that they're in submission to heavenly authority. But if you're here and you're not a a Christian and you're hearing this way that I'm calling we as Christians to live, and you think that's nuts because of the government that you see surrounding you. We probably would agree with you at different times and in different measures. And yet, we recognize that there's one over every governing authority around the entire world, in every nation, in every tribe, in every tongue, in every language who has sent his one and only son to live a perfect life that we couldn't live and subjected himself to the governing authorities of his day, willingly laying down his life, uh, enduring capital punishment for nothing so that we wouldn't endure capital punishment ourselves and uh, eternal separation from God forever in heaven and could, through repentance and faith, be forgiven of our sins and be saved for all eternity. Uh, We've recognized that there is a God above all human authority who has sent His one and only Son to die in our place. I hope that you would consider that truth, that reality. This type of life makes no sense unless you realize that there is a higher authority, a creator and a sustainer over everyone and over everything. And when you finally do, it's much easier. Not easy. It's much easier to submit to our governing authorities when we realize that God is the ultimate authority over all things. Let's pray.